1 John chapter 3 and then in verse number 10. Um, uh, one preacher said that he could preach the same sermon, same sermons every year, just uh, uh, put them on a rotating schedule because no one listens anyhow. And so I don't know how many of you listen. When I preach, I've wondered if I pulled out an old outline and preached it, if anyone would even know. I've not done that yet, uh, but I've been tempted to do that to see if anyone would catch it. Uh, so hopefully you are listening and hopefully the Word of God's making a difference. First John 3, verse 10 down through verse 18 says this, In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not the righteousness, doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the, that wicked one and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. The title of the sermon this evening is this, The Conduct of God's Children. The Conduct of God's Children. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand these truths. Drive them home in our hearts, Lord. Help us to be attentive. Lord, help us to back away from any hypocrisy in our heart, any false claims in our heart. Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves, to behold ourselves in the mirror. Lord, oftentimes when there's a struggle with a brother or sister, we uh, point the finger at their shortcomings and fail to see our own. And so, Lord, this evening we pray that you would help us not to be focused on what others do wrong, but, Lord, what we do wrong. And, Lord, help us to improve our relationships one with another. Help us to act as though we are your children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many have uh, struggled to understand John's style uh, as he writes, as he's written this epistle. At times it feels as though he's just sort of speaking in circles. He's being repetitive. Uh, he seems to hit the same topics over and over and over again. A deeper dive, though, shows us that John is taking his readers up a staircase. He is taking them uh, down a, a course where it becomes more and more complex and more and more advanced as we go. Think of it this way. You have, if you can remember back to your college days, those of you that attended college, you have basic English, which you can test out of. Uh, you have English 101. You have English 102. And you have English 201. Each class covers the same topic, uh, but uh, with increasing complexity, uh, with increasing difficulty. And so uh, it is the same topic, but you have to take it four times in most degrees in order to graduate with each one becoming a little bit more complex. Such is the case here in the book of 1 John, where he circles back around to the same topic, but talks about it on a deeper level. Let me show you what I'm talking about this evening. Turn back to 1 John chapter 2 and verse 9. We're going to read through verse number 11. What we'll see is that John equates 
loving your spiritual siblings to light and darkness. Look at verse 9. He that saith, uh, he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. First John 2, 9-11 through talks about loving your brothers and sisters in the Lord, or loving the brethren, but it addresses it from a light and darkness perspective. Now, uh, can a person exist in the darkness? Yes. Uh, at times, I take my dog out at night to go uh, to the bathroom where I put her down for the evening. And what I find is that if I'm in the dark long enough, my eyes adjust. And I can, I can at least maneuver around without tripping over uh, the items that are underneath my deck. I can operate in a way that's semi-functional in the dark. And many Christians are okay operating in spiritual darkness. They, their, their spiritual eyes have adjusted it. And they have claimed that to be normal. But here, we go from basic Christianity to the next step up in Christianity, and we see that it isn't just about light and darkness, but it's about life and death. Look back with me at 1 John chapter 3, and we move up the staircase, and we see that it is a matter, loving your brother in the Lord is a matter of life and death. Look at 1 John chapter 3, and look at verse 14. We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. Look at the rest of the verse. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Oh my. Now this is not a matter of light and dark. This is a matter of life and death. Life and death. John's, uh, God says through John's pen that God's children must get along if they want to be assured of their salvation. Now, uh, whether or not you get along with your sibling, if you're saved, you're saved. But my friend, there will be great reason to doubt whether or not you are saved if you cannot get along with your brother in the Lord. There are uh, uh, there are different ways we can respond to someone who we do not like. All right, here they are: murder, that would be the worst; hatred, indifference. And then the fourth one is really the only one Scripture gives Christians, and that is to show compassion. Murder. You can kill a person if you don't like them. Or you may choose just to hate a person that you don't like. You may choose to shrug your shoulders and be indifferent at a person you don't like. My friend, the only option available to a Christian when you're not getting along with someone is to show compassion. All three of these... All three of these, murder, hatred, and indifference, really all four of these are addressed in this passage this evening, and we will discuss them as we go through the outline. I propose that as a child of God, we should take on the attributes of our Heavenly Father. Just as Jesus loved the outcast and broken, we have been called to do the same. Who is that one Christian in your life that just rubs you the wrong way. How many of you have more than one Christian that rubs you the wrong way? The truth is, I could take out a pen and a note card, and there are people scattered across this country. I could jot their names down, and there are people that I'm just really not on speaking terms with. There are people that I have had issues with in the past that 
still have not totally been resolved. And I can look at you, look at you this evening and tell you that if any one of those people came to me and wanted to reconcile, I am ready to do so. But in every instance, that, those people do not seem to be ready to reconcile. My friend, God has called you to love your brother in the Lord, to love your sister in the Lord, even if they rub you the wrong way. Maybe I could ask it this way. Who is that one Christian who just seems to trouble you? The way they view things and the way they do things is, uh, is contradictory to the way you believe they ought to do things, the way they ought to behave. Um, how are you handling that person? How are you handling that sibling in the Lord? Do you want to kill him? You say, oh, a Christian could never kill another Christian. Um, Christians, or those who claim to be Christians, have murdered. You say, well, I would never kill anyone. Do, do you hate them? You see, the bar in Scripture is pretty low for hatred. We develop animus in our heart, hatred in our heart towards someone. We get to a place where their name comes up and it makes our blood boil. We see them we want to go the other direction. We, we don't want to be in their presence. Maybe you've gotten yourself to a place where you're just indifferent. You don't really care what happens to them, good or bad. Just as long as they're not around you, you really don't care. My friend, this is not how Christ has called his children to respond. When we looked at 1 John chapter 2, and we looked at that passage in detail a month and a half ago, I made the point to, uh, to the church that the book of 1 John is a familial book. And that... It is written from God's perspective as a father looking down on Christians. It breaks his heart when his children can't get along. Crushes him to see those who are both believers, who are at odds with each other. It hurts him, just as it would hurt the heart of any parent to see his children not be on speaking terms or getting a shouting match and adult children who can't stand each other or act indifferent toward each other. My friend, God has called us to get along. This is not just a matter of light and darkness. This is a matter of life and death. Have you developed a hateful attitude? Or is God using you to shower grace all over that person who has done you wrong? We're going to look at four powerful thoughts from this passage this evening, and we're going to consider both our actions and our attitude as children of the King of Kings. Again, the title of the sermon this evening is The Conduct, the Behavior of God's Child. Do you behave like God's child? Think about it this way. The prodigal son, he went and he sat by the pig's pen, but because he was the, the son of his father, he did not stay in the pig pen. He got up and he went home. Any Christian can fall into any sin. The truth is sinners leap into sin and they love it. Christians ought to lap into sin and then loathe it. They ought to hate it. It's okay to fall in the pig pen, but it's not okay to stay in the pig pen. If you truly are saved, you're not going to stay in the pig pen. You're going to get up and you're going to go home to your father. You're going to repent you're going to get it right. You're going to uh, reconcile with those that you've hurt. You're going to get it right. And so this evening, let's consider the behavior of a Christian, the behavior of God's children. Number one, notice the manifestation 
of Christianity. Now, to the younger viewers this evening, I know my children are at home watching, listening, and I'm sure there are other children who are tuned in this evening and being forced by their parents on some level to watch. And I throw a word like manifestation out, and you think, that's a big word, what does that mean? All the word manifestation means is the display or the proof of. So, uh, the display of Christianity, the manifestation of Christianity. Look at verse number 10, and we see where we get the word manifest or manifestation. In, in, in this, the children of God are made known, are put on display, are manifest, and the children of the devil. Okay, so uh, we're going to put people through a test. And at the end of this test, we're going to see who the children of God are and who the children of God aren't. Uh, we're going to see who the wheat is and who the tares are. And so look here with me. Uh, Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. I would reference you to last week's sermon on that part. Look at this next part. Neither he that loveth not his brother. If you don't love your brother then you are of the devil. If you do love your brother, uh, then you are a child of God. Let me just put it this way in the introduction. Each of us that are saved has a dual nature. We all have a dual nature. There is the old nature of the flesh that wants to do wrong, and there's the new nature that wants to do right. And uh, I find within this guy right here, there is a war going on between what the flesh wants to do and what the Spirit of God is telling me to do. A, um, a man who had um, uh, settled here in uh, what's now America back then was just uncharted territory, and uh, missionaries came over, and they were witnessing to various Native American tribes. And uh, uh, one Indian chief, or Native American chief, had got and saved, and they had established a church and gotten it up and going, and the chief himself became the pastor of that church, and so the missionary could see his work was done, and so he headed on down the road to find the next set of Native Americans uh, that he could witness to, and uh, try to, to, to win over and establish uh, some sort of a, a church uh, there. And years later, he circled back around uh, to, that, uh, uh, to that tribe where he had led the Indian chief to the Lord, the Native American chief to the Lord, and as he uh, came in into that uh, chief's uh, tent. He sat there and he asked him, he said, Sir, how is your Christian life going? How are things going? And the man said, I have found that I have living within me a black dog and a white dog. Now clearly this chief meant nothing racial by this, so please keep this in uh, context. But the chief said, I have living within me a black dog and a white dog. The black dog represents the old man that still wants to do wrong. The white dog represents the new nature of the Holy Spirit that wants to do right. And the missionary looked at the Native American chief and he said, well, sir, which dog is winning? And he said, whichever one I feed the most. Whichever one I feed the most. If you constantly give in to the flesh and allow the flesh to lead you, then what you're going to find is that the flesh is going to outduel the spirit. If you're feeding the Spirit by reading your Bible and praying, deferring to the Holy Spirit of God and allowing Him to lead you, then the flesh grows weak and anemic, and that Spirit of God is able to get the victory. Now, verse 10 teaches us that the children of the devil, or those who follow the old nature, doeth not righteousness, and this person does not love their brother, their brother or sister in the Lord. By default, children of God, or those feeding the new nature, well, they do righteousness, and they love their spiritual siblings. Look down at verse 14. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. 
Now, I want you to listen to what I'm saying here very carefully. Please don't confuse what I'm about to say. But how can you know whether or not you are going to heaven? How can you be sure of your salvation? I meet many people who are uh, who question whether or not they're saved. I've met folks who've prayed the sinner's prayer 10, 15, 20 times, and they constantly uh, uh, battle inwardly. Am I really saved? Am I truly saved? Have I re- was I really sincere? Did the Lord really save me? Uh, and, and, and they lack certainty of their salvation. Verse 14 tells us we can know. We can know. We can be certain. We've passed from death unto life. How? There is a love within our heart for the brethren. There is a natural love that's there. Um, Do you enjoy being around the other people who are saved? Is there a kindred spirit within you when you get around someone else who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? They may not dot their I's and cross their T's the way you do, but if they're saved, boy, there ought to be a desire to want to be around them, want to spend time with them. If that desire is absent within you, my friend, you are not saved. If that desire is present within you, then that is evidence that you are saved. We can know, this verse tells us, that we've passed from death unto life if we love the brethren, if we have a love for our brother and sister in the Lord. Now, the problem for most, especially when you have that brother or sister in Christ, who just wears on you and you clash with. The problem isn't can or can't, but rather will or won't. Will or won't. It's not that you can't love them. It's that you've made a conscious choice not to love them. You have the capacity because you're saved, but you've made a choice not to. Loving the brethren is a trademark. It is an identifier that sets you apart and makes you a child of God. Many of you know that last May I flew to Peru and I preached the anniversary Sunday for our missionary, Mark Rader. It was awesome. It was awesome being around those folks. The moment I walked in the building and I was around his people, there were 10, 15 people there. When we woke up the morning after we arrived, we slept in an apartment there. Uh, makeshift apartment within the church building, and we came downstairs the next morning, and the the building was just flooded with activity. People were getting things ready for their big anniversary Sunday, and I didn't know these people. I, I uh, but there was a, a natural bond. There was a kin kinship with them in Christ. Spoke another language. Lived in another country. There was a natural a bond there. If I were to go to McDonald's uh, uh, here in Stratford and get a Big Mac, or I were to get a Big Mac in Seattle, Washington, or Miami, Florida, or Phoenix, Arizona, or uh, uh, L.A., California, I would expect that Big Mac more or less to taste the same everywhere I went. It doesn't matter what region of the country I'm in, or what accent it is, or whether or not people put sugar in their tea. The Big Mac's all going to taste the same, because McDonald's has trademarked how that Big Mac ought to taste. And uh, uh, whether or not you're a Christian in Stratford, or you're a Christian on the other side of the globe, there is this commonality we share in Christ where there's a natural desire to love each other. Number one, the manifestation of Christianity. Number two, notice the message of our Christ. The message of our Christ. Look at verse John chapter 3 and verse number 11. It says, Therefore this is the message that ye heard from the beginning. Notice that there. From the beginning, that we should love one another. Now, if you've been a part of our study through First John, immediately you recognize that phrase, 
from the beginning, and you know this is a phrase that's been repeated throughout the book, and you know that this is not just a reference in time or some uh, a dot on a timeline. This is a reference to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, go back with me to 1 John chapter 1, in the very beginning of the book, in verse number 1. That which was... From the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, uh, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which was from the beginning is a title of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now go back to chapter 3 and verse number 11. For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning... Jesus Christ, that we should love one another. What is the message of our Christ? The message is that we should love one another. We should love one another. Um, this is his instruction. As I said in this morning's sermon, again, I told you there would be overlap. But as I said in the sermon this morning, anyone can love the lovable. Anyone can do that. Boy, you come to church and there is that crowd. There are those people that you are highly relatable with that you're naturally drawn to. We have folks in our church that speak Spanish, and what I have found is that the Spanish speakers are drawn to each other. And after church, the Spanish speakers will gather together and they will speak Spanish to each other. We have other folks who are in uh, their mid-40s, and uh, they're from a Caucasian English-speaking background. And they naturally gather to each other, and they speak with each other, and they fellowship with each other. Uh, they, there are those that are uh, uh, elderly, and they gather together, and they enjoy each other's company, and they uh, spend time together. Well, my friend, you've not just been called to love those who you can easily relate with. You've been called to love everybody. You've been called to care about everybody. Uh, Jesus is the one who gave this command. John chapter 13, uh, we're going to look at John 13 and John 15. John chapter 13 and verse 34, the Bible says, uh, this is Jesus speaking, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you. What a high bar. You're to love each other as much as I have loved you. That ye also love one another. By this shall all men know. Here's the trademark. Here's the identifier. Here's what everyone will look at and point at and say. There is the evidence that they've passed from death into life. By this, verse 35, shall all men know that ye are my disciples. If ye have love one to another. Hey, listen, the world can love each other. The world can look at each other and look after their own. How much greater and deeper should the love of a Christian be to a fellow Christian? John chapter 15, verse 12. Jesus repeats this commandment. This is my commandment that ye love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17, he circles back around. These things I command you that ye love one another. The message of our Christ. The message of our Christ. Jesus Christ is adamant. Let me just put it to you this way. That sibling in the Lord that you don't like, that sibling in the Lord that you've had a conflict with, that sibling in the Lord uh, that just rubs you the wrong way, if you were to be placed in a room with just them and the Lord Jesus Christ, what do you think He'd tell you? What do you think He would expect of you? Why do we need Jesus to come down and be in the flesh to sit us down and fix these problems? Can we not be mature enough in the Lord 
to resolve our differences. By the way, I'm talking to husbands and wives this evening who are at odds with each other. I'm talking about husbands and wives that are both saved. Some years ago, my wife and I had some marital problems. Many of you know I'm a transparent preacher, maybe even sometimes a little too much. This would have been six, seven years ago, prior to my pastor here, we had some deep marital problems. There was no infidelity involved, but uh, just, just deep, deep issues. And so we climbed in a car and we drove to see a professional counselor. We sat there in the counselor's office. The counselor let us both present uh, our, our case like lawyers. And uh, I laid out why I was bothered, and Angela laid out why she was bothered to the counselor. And uh, we, uh, a lot of emotions were in the room. We got down to the end, and the counselor looked at me. Please hear what I'm about to say, because I think this is really going to help a lot of people. This is not coming from me. This is coming from that counselor that really, really helped me. He said to me, he said, Richard, Angela may be your wife, but before she's your wife, she is God's daughter. You be careful how you treat God's daughter. Angela, Richard may be your husband, but before he is your husband, he is God's son. You be careful how you treat God's child. Boy, Christian, that other Christian that you struggle to love, you be careful how you treat God's child. How much as a mom or a dad do you love your children? You feel that mama bear instinct rise up, well up in you, and someone's attacking your child? Boy, I sure would hate to have God's ire against me. You say, well, I'm God's child too. Oh, that might be so, but I've seen how upset my wife can be with Matthew or April when they're instigating the other one. God may be your father of both of you. He does not like it when we instigate. He does not like it when we battle. He does not like it when we fight. He does not like it when we're hateful. He does not like it when we're mean. He does not like it when we war. He does not like it when we lose our temper. He does not like it when we shame and we act indifferent. No my friend, God is your heavenly Father and He looks down at you and He says, this is my command. You all get along. You love each other. You show compassion to each other. You help each other through the strife. You say, Pastor, I would love them if they'd knock off their behavior. No, the prerequisite is not on their behavior. The command is on your behavior. That is to love. The manifestation of Christianity The message of our Christ. Number three, notice the malice against Christians. The malice against Christians. Go back to 1 John chapter 3 and look at verse number 12. We have an example thrown right here in the middle of the passage. It says, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. Murder, of course, is the lowest level on which one uh, may live in relationship to someone else. It is the level on which Satan himself exists. Jesus, while reprimanding the Pharisees in John 8, 44, he said they were of their father, the devil, who was a murderer from the beginning. A murderer from the beginning. Murder has always been in the heart of Satan. John offers us two starting points. Uh, If your father is God, then Jesus is your 
from the beginning, and your nature is to love the brethren. If your father is Satan, then he is your from the beginning. Here listed in 1 John 3.12. And your nature is to hate the brethren. You see the difference here? If your from the beginning is Jesus, your nature is to love. If your from the beginning is Satan, your nature is to hate. Every man has a spiritual heritage as well as a physical. Cain and Abel shared the same physical heritage, but Abel's spiritual father was God, and Cain's spiritual father was Satan. Both men brought a sacrifice. Both men set up an altar. Both men offered their sacrifice. Abel's was accepted. Cain's was rejected. Both men were worshipers. Cain's offering was rejected. And Abel was accepted. Notice what the rejection of Cain's worship caused him to do. It drove him to a choice. It drove him to a choice. And he chose the father of murder and lies. Now, I've heard a lot of uh, people say that Christians are not nice to homosexuals. I've heard a lot of people say that Christians are mean and nasty and bigoted and, uh, 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 and condemning and intolerant. And listen, I believe that that is true on some level, but mostly it's not true. Mostly Christians are very kind and loving. Can I tell you why it is that the lost hate the brethren? Because when faced with truth, they're given a choice. I must turn from my sin and choose Christ, or I must hate Christ and his Christians altogether. Isn't this what happened with Jesus? He confronted the Pharisees over their hypocrisy, over their false religion, over their worship of Judaism, over their worshiping of the shadows instead of the worshiping of the Savior. And what happened when he confronted them? They did not turn from their unrighteousness. No, they embraced their unrighteousness and they hated the one who was right. My friend, the world hates Christians. They hate Christians on such a level that they're of their father, the devil, who is a murderer. You say, look down to verse 15. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Now, just let me clarify something here real quick. If you've committed murder, you can be saved. You can be saved. Go back to last week's uh, uh, sermon, and we see that God uh, looks at you through the scope or through the lens of the blood of Jesus Christ, and He does not see your murder. He does not see your sin. However, someone who has not been saved and has committed murder, God sees their murder and will condemn them to hell. Now, if you are saved or you claim to be saved and you go out and commit murder, uh, then that might be evidence that you never were saved to begin with. You say, well, pastor, I, I can check this one off. I've never killed anyone. Here John is reemphasizing what Jesus taught in Matthew 5. Hatred in your heart towards someone is the same as murder in God's eyes. Listen to this illustration. A visitor at the zoo is chatting with the keeper of the lion house. The visitor said, I have a cat at home, and your lions act a lot like my cat. Look at them in there, sleeping so peacefully. It seems a shame that you have to put those beautiful creatures behind bars. <laughs> My friend, the keeper laughed, these may look like a bigger version of your cat, but their disposition is radically different. There's murder 
in their hearts. You'd better be glad the bars are there. Boy, the commentator who put this illustration in his commentary, he said this behind this illustration. Please listen closely. He said the only reason some people have never actually murdered anyone is because of the bars that have been put up. The fear of arrest and shame, the penalties of the law, and the possibility of life in prison or death. But we are going to be judged by the law of liberty. The question is not so much what did you do, but what did you want to do? What would you have done if you would have been at liberty to do as you pleased without any consequences? This is why Jesus equated hatred to murder. Boy, I read that and I stepped back and I thought through all of the people that I have had hatred in my heart toward in my life. Boy, I can make a list of people who've done things to me that have so infuriated me that it's driven me to a point of hatred. And I've asked myself this question. If I lived in the primitive world of Cain and Abel and there, weren't a, there wasn't a police department and there wasn't a prison and there wasn't uh, someone who would come put handcuffs on me and there weren't courts and judges and there wasn't lawyer, weren't lawyers and jury, would have I reached a point where I would have picked up the rock or the club and murdered them the way Cain did Abel? My friend, is it that the bars have been put up in front of you uh, and have prevented you from having committed that murder. That's why Jesus said that if you call someone a fool with a heart full of hatred, you are guilty of hellfire. You are in danger of the judgment. The malice against Christians. Now, I want to finish with this and move on to point four. It is bad enough that the world opposes us. It is bad enough that there are lobbyists uh, in Washington, D.C. doing everything they can to eradicate Christianity. It is bad enough that we have to go to war against the prince of, uh, uh, the, the prince of this world and he has systems set up to, to, to fight the church. We sure don't need to be opposing each other. We sure don't need to be slitting each other's neck. We sure don't need to be drawing blood out of each other. As I have said many times, you are not my enemy. I am not your enemy. The other brothers and sisters in the church are not your enemy. The devil is the enemy. We must lock arms and we must go to war against the devil. Number four, and lastly, notice the measurement of Christianity. The measurement of Christianity. Letter A, our example. Our example. Look at verse John chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, Hereby perceive we the love of God. Because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now we all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. We all believe it. We all love it. uh, We all cling to it. We all enjoy it. But how many of us are familiar with 1 John 3.16? Again look at it. Perceive we the love of God because He laid down His life for us. That's the message of John 3.16. But 1 John 3.16 takes it a step further. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If you were put in a spot where you had to choose to die for your spiritual sibling, would you do it? Boy, I don't know that I can say I would in every case. 
But the truth is, right now, we're not being asked to die for each other, but we are being asked to live for each other. Jesus came to teach us. In fact, we have four Gospels. Four Gospels that start out the New Testament of Jesus' teachings, of his life. But, you know, the teachings of Jesus would have meant nothing if he wouldn't have put them into practice himself. Jesus didn't just tell us to love the outcast. Jesus didn't just tell us to live a life of service and sacrifice. Jesus went forth and, and, and served. Jesus went forth and sacrificed his life for us. I'm going to put a quote up on the screen for you here. Uh, please pay attention to this quote. Self-preservation is the first law of physical life. But self-sacrifice is the first law of the spiritual life. Let me say that again. Self-preservation is the first law of physical life. We all seek to self-preserve. I have been of the opinion that if much of our welfare system was stripped away from those who really don't need it, I understand there are those that do, but much of society doesn't need it. If that was stripped out from underneath and people were told that they weren't going to be getting any assistance in living, all of a sudden uh, their supposed problems would go away and they would find a way to feed their mouth. They would find a way to earn the income uh, to feed their mouth. Why? Because self-preservation is the first law of physical, sacrifice, of physical life. But that's not to be for a Christian. You've been born again? Self-sacrifice. What do I need to do to lay down on the altar in order to make this work, in order to make this go? Self-sacrifice is the first law of the spiritual life. It is fair to say that if two Christians are not getting along, then neither one of them are probably living this truth. Both of them are worried about preservation and not sacrifice. Oh, that as Christians, oh, that as brethren, we would love each other. I've heard some say about a hardship in their life that they are bearing their cross. Please understand that unless your hardship directly benefits someone else, then that hardship is just a hardship. It's not a cross. Jesus bore his cross, and it was a hardship. But because of his cross, uh, you and I have salvation. You and I have eternal life. We are the benefactors of his hardship. Because he had hardship, we have benefited. Because he sacrificed, we are saved. God has called you and I to suffer on behalf of others. There is a false doctrine running around uh, Christianity today that says that God does not ever give anyone suffering, that God never expects anyone to go through a hardship or ever even gives someone a hardship. And to that I say, that is apostasy. That is false doctrine. God brings hardships in our life. He gives us our crosses to bear. God has not called Christians to live a life of ease and comfort. No. God has called Christians to suffer. God has called Christians to struggle. God has called Christians to to bear a cross so that others can be the beneficiary. Others can receive a blessing because of the hurt and pain and suffering that we go through. Don't let a hardship go to waste. You make sure that as you go through a hardship, God uses that to help others. Who is our example? Jesus Christ is our example. Letter B, notice, our exhibit. Our exhibit. When we began this evening, we talked about the four possible responses in human relationships. We've looked at murder and hatred. Next on the list is indifference. Look at verse 17. 
But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? The test of Christian love is not simply failing to do evil to each other. Love also involves doing them good. Christian love is both negative and positive. We should cease to do evil, and we should learn to do well. It is easy to say generically, Yep, I love the brethren. Boy, I love going to church. I love shaking hands especially in times of non-social distancing. <laughs> I love shaking hands. I, I love popping a brother on the shoulder. I, I, I love going and enjoying a burger or a, a sandwich and a cup of tea for you ladies at some activity. And, and, and I love the fellowship. By the way, that's what 1 John 2 deals with, light and darkness. That's fellowship. 1 John 3 deals with relationship. Boy, we're, we're digging in deeper. We're, we're getting more advanced. We're moving from basic Christianity up a stair to Christianity 101. We're not just talking about shallow fellowship. Now we're talking about developing relationships. Boy, anybody can say they love the brethren. Let me ask you this. Do you love your brother? Singular. We can love the brethren plural at a distance. Uh, we, we, can, we can be kind, we can wave, we can say amen uh, in church. Uh, we can do our part, we can have our part. Do you love your brother that's in the ditch? You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The lawyer asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor anyway? You know what he was trying to do? He was trying to make it plural. Jesus said it's not about plural, it's about singular. Look at the man in the ditch. Is that man your neighbor? Are you going to get down... And help him. Now, really quick here, because someone's going to hear what I'm saying and misunderstand it and, 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 and going to get hurt. Please hear what I'm about to say. God has not called you to enable someone's sin behavior. God has not called you to willy-nilly give cash to someone who is bad with money. God has not called you to enable someone who has a, a, an addiction or a bad habit. God has not called you to give someone money who is frivolous with money and throws it out the wind and wastes it. But God has called you to come along someone and put your arm around them and love them. And those who truly need help and want help and will take your help, then you are to help them. You are to help your brother. There are three steps to filling a need. Three steps to filling a need. These will be up on the screen. Notice here, you must know about the need. You must know about the need. You can't help someone's need if you don't know about it. Number two, you must have the capacity to fill the need. I have found myself in this place many times where I know about someone's need, but I don't have any way to help them with their need. Either I don't have uh, uh, time because it's being used somewhere else, or I don't have the finances. But if you know about the need and you have the capacity to fill the need, number three, I must be loving enough to want to share. I must be loving enough to want to share. Are you living those three? Are you loving enough to want to share? My friend, this is Christianity. If you see your brother has need and you shut off your bowels of compassion, you know what that is? That's indifference. We have uh, uh, many Christians in 2020. They show up to church three times a week. They have their Bible in their hand. They sit there in the pew. They open it. They nod their head to the preaching. They get up and they walk out. They don't take their prayer bulletin home and actually care. 
When was the last time you prayed through the prayer bulletin other than just sitting in the chair? Are you shutting off your bowels of compassion? You, you hear about a need that's presented in the church where someone is hurting and someone is, is down and out. They've lost their job or uh, they're, uh, they're going to be late on a payment and, and life is thrown curveball after them, uh, at them or a monkey wrench in their plans. And Well, you know, someone else will help. Someone else will take care of it. Uh, we, we, need, we have a work day at the church and we need to do these things to get ready. Well, other people will show up and help. My friend... Don't shut off your bowels of compassion. Oh, you may not be murdering anyone. You may not even be hating anyone. But indifference is just as wrong. Indifference is not what we're called to live. The fourth one we looked at, the fourth one we looked at was compassion. We must show compassion. Look down at verse number 18. My little children, let us not love in word, neither in deed, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In deed and in truth. Have you ever had someone catch you after church and pour out their heart to you about a problem? And you sit there and you say, well, brother, let me pray with you. And you bow your head and you pray with them and you walk away and you say, the Lord will take care of it. And you walk away and you wipe your hands of it. Um, My Bible says... Pressed down, shaking together, shall men give into your bosom. God works through men and women, Christians. We must show compassion. When was the last time you wept a tear for a brother or sister in the Lord? When was the last time that you hurt for someone? A young woman admitted in a testimony during a church function that she never seemed to find time for her own personal devotions. She had several little children to care for, and the hours melted away. Imagine her surprise when two ladies from the church appeared at her front door. We've come to take over, they exclaimed. You go into the bedroom and get started on your devotions. After several days of this kind of help, the young mother was able to develop her devotional life so that her daily demands uh, were no longer upset her. No longer upset her. You know why? Because someone heard a need, and they got creative, and they filled the need. Be one of those kind of Christians that puts your Christianity on display. Go back with me to 1 John chapter 3. We'll finish with this. 1 John chapter 3. Look with me at verse number 14. We know that we have passed from death into life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. How do all men know that we are His disciples? Because we have loved one for another. If you've passed from death into life, let's do our part not to love the brethren generically, but to love our brothers specifically. This is the conduct of a child of God. Lord, we pray that you would take the truth that we have covered out of this passage tonight, very similar to this morning, but a little bit different angle. Help us to get involved. Help us not to be the Levite, the priest that crosses the street and ignores the brother in the ditch. Lord, may we have compassion and love each other. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word how it is so applicable to our lives each and every day. 